right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 12. For those who are joining us um, for the first time, we're in this series through the book of First and Second Peter called Foreigners. Um, I'm in the CSB, if you have your uh, Version Bible app. Um, if not, it'll be on the screen in um, the outline provided to you in the program. Or if you've got a physical copy, you can turn there. Once again, First Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to begin um, straight away with verse 12. It says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Um, you can write this down from the opening verse. Christians should expect suffering and consider it as normal. Christians should expect suffering and consider it as normal. There are a lot of things that can surprise us. Um, many people um, have been surprised by many things. In fact, just over the last month, um, I know several people who have received um, negative, unexpected um, health diagnosis that they never expected. It, it surprised them. It shocked them. Um, in fact, um, I was preaching at Revolution Church up in uh, Gastonia, North Carolina last week, um, standing in for a friend of ours. Um, Richard Myers, who in between their two services, God blessed them with a, uh, a building, and um, their auditorium's a little bit smaller, and so they had to go to two services when they moved out of the facility they were renting. And so in between their services, um, he, he really wasn't feeling good uh, after the first service, but then after the second was feeling short of breath and wasn't sure what was going on, kind of felt dizzy. And so he preached the second service, but he had to sit down the whole time. He said he went to lunch, didn't really feel like he um, had an appetite, so he really didn't eat. And later that evening, he went to the emergency room um, and was told he had a heart attack in between their services. And I was like, man, you're the man. You, you had a heart attack and you still preached um, a second service, whether sitting down or not. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. But he never expected to have a heart attack in between services on Sunday. There have been other people. We just talked about this uh, this morning. Phil was talking about an unexpected death um, from someone who uh, had previously attended our church. And so um, many people just over the last several weeks um, and, and in the last month have had unexpected, they've been surprised by health diagnosis that they didn't expect. Or in some cases, they thought they were getting better and were told that in fact they were getting worse. And so we can be surprised by those things. I know um, many stories of people over the years who thought their marriage was healthy and they thought their marriage was good only to be surprised and blindsided by a spouse coming to them and admitting to an affair or finding evidence of an affair and realizing that their marriage wasn't as healthy as they thought it was. It wasn't as good as they were led to believe and they were surprised by that. And so all of us can be surprised by the unexpected. When we um, hosted the We Are Messengers um, concert, the tour the other uh, on Thursday night, um, earlier in the day, the lead singer, Darren, uh, got a phone call from his doctor and, and was told that um, some of the pain that he's been having in his body suddenly, um, from they, they did some blood work and the blood work came back um, with a poor health diagnosis and telling him that basically it could lead to something catastrophic and you could see the weight of that weigh on him throughout the day and then even into the concert. And so once again, health, relationship, finances, 
um, problems with people rising up against you, uh, rumors, slander, you name it. We can all be surprised and blindsided by the unexpected. We think things are going well, and then suddenly they don't go as well as we thought they were. And so here, Peter tells this group of Christians, and once again, they're exiles. We, we've talked throughout this whole kind of passage and this whole series that they've been persecuted, that they've faced suffering, and, and we've seen how uh, Peter has written to them in a loving way, in an encouraging way, and essentially telling them not to give in to the, the desires of the flesh, those things that would war against their soul, no matter how they're treated, when they're persecuted, when they're crucified, when they're burned alive, like all of these things that they're facing. And so he continues this conversation, and he's continuing this. He tells them, dear friends, I mean, he's, he's speaking to them in a loving, caring way because they are facing persecution. They are facing suffering. And he tells them, don't be surprised by that. Like, don't be caught off guard as if this is something unusual when this fiery ordeal comes against you. So he describes this persecution as being fiery, as being something that is painful and difficult. And he tells them, he's like, when this comes against you, don't expect it to be out of the ordinary or unusual. In fact, it's sent to test you, which means that God is allowing this. There's a, a purpose for this testing. There's a purpose for what they're going through. And so that's true for every one of us. Christians should not consider it to be um, unexpected. Uh, we actually should consider it to be ordinary when we do face suffering, when we do face difficulty, when we do face the troubles and the challenges in life. And we shouldn't find it to be um, odd just because we follow Jesus. See, I think oftentimes we get that mentality, and you can read certain authors and those who stand in the position of a pastor who will tell you, if you just think a certain way, if you just claim certain things, if you just have enough faith and believe in certain ways, then, then you can have the, the perfect life. You can have such a joyous life, and you can have such you know, all the things that you want and all the things that you need. You can have good health and good wealth and all of these things, and they lead you to believe that if you have something different than that, then it's out of the ordinary. It must be left up to your lack of faith or you're not being positive enough or whatever that might be. And so depending on who you allow to teach you and to expose your life to, you could be caught off guard and surprised by suffering and by difficulty. Because, man, I've been thinking positively. I mean, I have enough faith and I believe all of a sudden this challenge is coming what, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with God? It shouldn't be this way. And Peter is telling them, don't be surprised just, just because you follow Jesus. Actually, you should expect it to get difficult. If you think that you're going to place your faith in Jesus for salvation and then life's going to be grand and you're not going to have any challenges, then someone has misled you because you're going to have challenges. In fact, you put a target on your back that now no longer do you belong to the enemy, the evil one, but now you have set yourself apart from him. You belong to God. You're a part of his family, and now you are the enemy of the one who used to not want to bother you, who, who used to not want to disrupt your life and cause difficulties. And it's not this super spiritual, you know, um, devil that we have to worry about either. It's those that we live life with. 
Because that's what's happening with these Christians. Their fiery ordeal, their challenge is persecution. Now, they're influenced by sin, they're influenced by the evil one, but it was flesh and blood that they're having to live life with. And then we have Paul that says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, yet it's flesh and blood who comes against us. And so there's this challenge that we have to deal with in life that it's flesh and blood who's coming against us, but it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against. And so we have to remember that. And so that's what their fiery ordeal is. Simply because they are Christians, because they follow Jesus because of who, they've choose, who they choose to worship, they simply are now being persecuted. And Peter tells them that their fiery trial is to test them. There's a purpose behind it. In fact, you can write this down, nothing grand, but testing proves validity. Testing proves validity. In fact, scientists will have a hypothesis or they will have a theory. And what do they do with that hypothesis and that theory? They will test it to prove whether or not that hypothesis or that theory is valid, whether or not it leads to something factual. That's how we discover new things, and we find new discoveries and new things that um, may have always existed. Someone has a theory or a hypothesis, they test it to see if it's valid. Detectives and prosecutors do the same thing when they get evidence from a crime. They will test that evidence to see if it's valid in order to bring charges in a criminal case. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration um, gets reports from automakers who will tell you that their car is super safe. It's a five-star rated safety automobile. And so the NT, uh, well, NHTSA uh, will test that claim in order to see if that claim is valid for your protection and for your safety. They'll say, Volkswagen says this, and Volkswagen has been proven true. And there's been times where Volkswagen lied and said that they were safer than what they were, and they got caught because they made a claim, but that claim wasn't true. In the same way, the validity of something or anything isn't just determined by what it appears to be or what one claims it to be, but it has to be tested in order to be proven to be valid or invalid. And so what's happening here is by testing that appearance or that claim, that's where it is Um, proven to be what is true. And that's what this fire ordeal does, not only for these Christians, but for every one of us. And that is it tests the validity of our faith. Is it valid or is it invalid? And and so that's what he's telling them. Don't, Don't expect it to be, you know, out of the ordinary, to be unusual, but God is allowing this fire ordeal in your life to test you. And so we can claim to have faith and even appear to have faith, but it's when fiery ordeals come, it's when suffering comes, it's when difficulty comes, it's when challenges come, that all of a sudden what we claim to be true or what appears to be true is tested and is either proven to be valid or invalid. That's exactly what Darren and I from We Are Messengers were talking about before he came on the concert was, you know, this is where basically um, our faith is proven to be true. We can talk all day long about being Christians and having faith and being and, and trusting God, but it's only when you get a bad health diagnosis, it's only when someone comes against you because you're a Christian, it's only when you have that financial setback that true Christianity actually kicks into motion. That's where faith is faith. Am I going to trust God in this moment or am I not? 
I've told you many times, I grew up, we weren't very wealthy. My dad was in ministry. And there were many times that I overheard my parents talk about how are we going to pay this bill because the money's not there. And suddenly out of the blue, as my dad is encouraging my mom that God will provide and he'll come through, that, that within a day or so, he has an opportunity to go speak at a church who takes up a love offering, who brings in just enough for us to pay our bills. And so I've seen God provide. I've seen God provide when we lived in Bainbridge, Georgia, and my dad was a pastor there. And, and basically every meal surrounded eggs because eggs were cheap. Egg sandwiches, fried eggs, um, whatever else you can do with eggs, scrambled eggs, boiled eggs. Like we lived on eggs, but God provided. And so when, when I get married and we have a little bit of difficulties and, and Nikki's like, how are we going to pay this bill? <laughs> you know, this bill's going to come out automatic because now we've got, you know, automatic withdrawal and things like that. And I go, hey, God will provide. Why? Because I saw it. I, I saw him provide before. But it's still the testing of the faith to say, hey, are you just going to rely on your parents' faith or you're going to learn to trust me for yourself? And we've seen God come through. and We've seen him always provide for us. It's in those fiery ordeals. It's in those challenges that what we claim or even what appears to be true to other people, because we can all appear to be good Christians. We can all appear to have it together. We can all give a certain appearance, but it's only in the testing that it proves to be valid or invalid. And this is what's happening with them is this fiery ordeal is coming and it's going to test the validity of their faith. And that's why salvation isn't just saying a prayer to escape some eternal punishment for our sins. It's not just about saying a prayer. Salvation is the process by which we're brought back into a right standing with God, a right relationship with God, because sin killed us spiritually and made us his enemies. The, the only way for mankind to be restored back into a relationship with God and a right standing with God was for Jesus to come and live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to die on the cross in our place, and to be raised to new life. Like, like that's the only means by which we could be um, given new life. We could be given forgiveness of our sins. And it's because of that, Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11 tells us this, for this reason, God highly exalted him, didn't just exalt him, but highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus didn't just come to be our sacrificial lamb um, to pay the payment of our sins so that we could no longer um, be guilty of our sins. Yes, he did that, but he also came, the scripture tells us that he came and because of what he did on the cross, God elevated to the high, him to the highest place and he has come to be king of our lives. He came to be king of your life, not just savior, but savior and king, savior and Lord. And so we see here, this is what Jesus did, and we see the position that he's in, and this is why salvation is not just about saying a prayer. It's not just about escaping hell. It's not just a potion to absolve us of our guilt and our shame, but it's about placing our full faith in Jesus, not only as Savior from our sin, but also for 
in him as king. There's no salvation or true Christianity that just views Jesus as like the genie in the bottle that's just there for our own personal benefit. And that's what happens in some of these books and some of these messages that we give ourselves over to, where it's like, if you just have enough faith, and if you just believe a certain way, God's going to be your genie. Jesus is going to be your personal servant, and whatever you want, and whatever you, you, know, you think, and whatever you desire, you'll have, because he's just there to serve you. But no, he's king. There, there is no true Christianity, and there is no true salvation if we just see Jesus as a, a means to get the, the benefits and the luxuries of our own lives. See, see, we not only trust in him for salvation, but we also have to bend our knee in loyal worship of him. So when the fiery ordeal comes, we'll see if we just wanted to get out of hell free card. We'll see if Jesus is just genie. We'll see if, he's just, if he was just there to kind of absolve us of our guilt for our sin, or if he's truly king of our life if he's truly Lord of our life. And so when that fiery ordeal comes on the Christians, it's going to test to see, are you a genuine follower of Jesus? And so we see this even in our own time. We see this movement of people leaving the faith. We see this movement of even prominent, um, well-known Christians who um, profess to be Christians, and all of a sudden now they're disowning their faith, and all of a sudden they're ex-evangelicals and all of these titles And what we see is maybe their faith has been tested in some way, and maybe there's been some challenge that comes against them. And sometimes that challenge can be simply having to stand up to culture and a culture that preaches one thing, but a faith that preaches another thing. And somehow we have to live in the tension of both. And and, and now, because culture's saying one thing, and I want to be accepted by culture, but my faith says another, somehow I've got to either bridge that or I've got to let one kind of slide, and it's usually the faith. And so what happens is, is now the faith wasn't as valid because Jesus isn't truly king. I'm not going to do what Jesus calls me to do. I want to do what culture tells me. I want salvation and I want heaven, but I also want culture to accept me and to buy my albums and to buy my books and to watch my TV shows and whatever else I might be involved in. So what we see is this movement away from Christianity because Jesus was just savior. Jesus was just genie. And so when the testing comes, when culture tests us, when popularity tests us, when the fiery ordeal tests us, it proves whether our faith is valid or invalid. And what Peter is telling this group of Christians is, don't consider the fiery ordeals to be unusual. Like you should expect it to be like normal, that you're going to be tested because you're a follower of Jesus, and that testing is going to prove the validity of your faith, the validity of who Jesus is in your life. Verse 13 and 14 goes on and says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You write this down, great suffering will uh, bring great rejoicing. Great suffering will bring great rejoicing. See, we shouldn't be surprised by uh, persecution or suffering, and the, the good news is for us, we really don't face persecution. Like, like we, we, we may be mocked, 
We may face some ridicule, but we truly don't face persecution like people around the world do for being Christians. We just don't. We don't have to worry about being thrown in prison. We don't have to worry about losing our life. We don't have to worry about losing our job. And so I use this lightly to say when we, when we face persecution, we can rejoice in that. But we do face suffering, and we do face difficulty. We do face the unexpected. And when that happens, um, we can rejoice knowing that we are suffering and sharing in the suffering of Christ. Um, as the perfect son of God, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was betrayed, he was ultimately killed because of who he was, and yet we as sinners, can we really expect any less than what the son of God experienced and what he dealt with for our behalf, what he dealt with so that we could have life and so that we could have salvation? If Jesus faced that kind of suffering, what, kind of, what, what, what do we expect? the health, wealth, and prosperity, culture to love us. Jesus even said because they hated him, they would hate us as well. And so we should expect it to be normal and not unusual. And so we can rejoice in our suffering by knowing that God uses this to help us to continue to be shaped in the likeness and the image of Jesus. So so through the difficulty, through the struggle, through the suffering, you can rejoice knowing that God is using it to shape you and to mold you and to conform you into the image of Jesus so that you learn how to reply graciously, so that you learn how to reply in mercy and act in um, faith rather than in doubt. Romans 5, the the last part of 3 and verse 4 says, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Affliction produces. Affliction um, has results when we endure that affliction, when we understand that there is a purpose for the affliction that we face, that it will produce endurance, that, that we can get through the challenges of life, we can get through the difficulties, we can get through the heartbreak, we can get through the loneliness. Why? Because Uh, the affliction produces endurance. And the endurance will produce what? Proven character. And he's going to talk about this in just a second, but, but then proven character produces that hope that we have of eternal glory. Our suffering will lead us to rejoice with great joy Um, when Jesus's glory is revealed. That glory is his splendor. It's his majesty as well as ours. Uh, We're the object of Christ's glory. What brings Christ glory? The fact that we, as wicked sinners, separated from him, his enemies, um, are brought into salvation, that we are redeemed and made new. This reveals his majesty. This reveals his greatness. Look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, where he's talking to husbands and how husbands should love their wives. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're considered the church. He gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. So so he has brought you to himself. He has cleansed you. He has made you new. He has made you without spot or wrinkle so that he can present you to himself in such a way. 
And so in heaven, our splendor and our perfection will only point to Jesus and His great work in our life. That's where He will be glorified. It will point to His graciousness on our behalf, and He will be glorified. As we stand before God, holy and blameless, it will speak to the power of Jesus and His work in our life, and He will be glorified. And so we share in that suffering because we share in that glory because of what Christ has done on our behalf to present us as holy and blameless. Verse 15 and 16 goes on and says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. See, these Christians suffered persecution for following Jesus, but there's another kind of suffering that Peter talks about here. Um, Persecution based on our faith is an unjust suffering, and yet he tells us to endure that, to rejoice in unjust suffering, because that unjust suffering is going to do a good work in our lives. And it's going to lead to the glory of God. It's going to lead to rejoicing and joy. But then he talks about another kind of suffering that he tells us to avoid, and that's a just suffering, a justified suffering, a suffering that comes from living a life that um, identifies with the world, a suffering that um, comes from behaviors that really stem from a sin nature that he freed us from. He says to not suffer for being a murderer or for being a thief, for stealing, for practicing evil, or for meddling, which would lead to just suffering. That word meddling is very interesting to be put into a subject subject with murderers and thieves and evildoers. Like, we we could think through, like, some very evil things. And and we know murder, I mean, that's one of the the gravest sins. And, and, And thievery. The the King James Version, instead of using the word metal, uses this statement, a busybody in other men's matters. Some people are just attracted to gossip and negativity. They want to be in the know, and they love to be able to frequently update people about the negativity that's going on in people's lives or in their social circles and social gatherings that they participate in, especially those that they dislike. So so they love hearing the gossip. They love wanting to know the the recent news so that they can update people, and they love to update people. They gravitate towards people who claim to be victimized by other people in order to be in the know about their situation. They're busybodies. They they meddle in everyone's business. We, We understand justified suffering for things like murder, for things like thievery, for, for evil behavior towards other people. But then Peter here throws in that same line, meddling and busybodies. He says those lead to just suffering as well. Justified suffering. Why? Because it causes division. B- because it breaks apart the body. Because it uh, leads to all other manner of evil. It tears the the Christian family apart and down. And if there's any time that Christians need one another, it's in a time of suffering. It's in a time of persecution. That's why he says, dear friends, he he approaches them in a care and and a means of compassion. And yet when people are meddling and busybodies in other people's business, it's just tearing the body apart. And we need to be unified, standing together, encouraging one another when we face difficulties and suffering rather than meddling in one another's business and gossip and division and separating the body from one another. 
And so he throws it into the same sins as thievery and murdering, just as he did slander earlier in the book. And so if a Christian is to suffer, let it be um, not for justly reasons, like sinful behavior, the murder, the thievery, and those things. But instead, he said, let it be for belonging to Jesus and bearing his name. Let it be for that name. Let us not be known for suffering justly because of giving in to the sins of our old sin nature, but instead, let us be known for suffering for the name of Christ because we bear his name as Christians. And so this should serve as a reminder that we as followers of Jesus should live blameless lives. In fact, in Titus, when it talks about um, the, the elders of the church, it says to live a life above reproach. But I believe that's for every one of us. Every one of us should live blameless lives. Every one of us should strive to live our life above reproach, taking extreme measures, if at all possible, to live in such a way that no one could ever falsely accuse us of such evil behavior. No one could ever accuse us of such things that would lead to, um, to, to justified suffering. Peter says, don't be known for that, but be known for and celebrate the unjust suffering that comes against you because you bear the name of Jesus. In fact, Rick Warren talks about um, where he would go to the extreme in being alone with another woman in his office building with his secretary. He doesn't travel. He travels with another man. Um, and the reason, and, and they stay in the same room so that there's no temptation for pornography on TV. Um, there's no opportunity for him to be away from um, his wife and his family and to be alone and to be propositioned by someone and to give in to that temptation because he's got another staff man with him. And so that's a decision he makes. That's something he chooses to do. He said he doesn't even get in the same elevator in the office building with his secretary. And everybody kind of gets quiet. He's like, yeah, I know. Sounds extreme, doesn't it? But no one can ever accuse me of doing something inappropriately sexually or in, in word or in deed because I go to the extreme to protect myself. I go to the extreme to protect my reputation and my name. And so it's no different for you and for me. When it comes to the, the behaviors that align with our old sin nature, we should go to the extreme so that we're not known or we can't be accused so that we might suffer for something that is justified, but we only suffer for bearing the name of Christ. Where people might ridicule and say, Nick's kind of extreme. Pastor Rick Warren's kind of extreme. He won't even get in the elevator with his secretary. That's, that's kind of extreme. Yet, no one can ever accuse him. And the only suffering that he faces would be called extreme because he wants to represent Christ in an honorable way. Verse 19 then says, as we prepare to close, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And actually, I missed the whole part, but that's okay. Let me go back up because I got about five minutes. Let me not skip. Verse 17, 18, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
The reality is God will discipline those that he loves, those who are his children. They're warning not to suffer justly for things like evil behavior, meddling, uh, murders, thieves. And then he says that judgment is coming and he's going to start with his people. He's going to start with his church. He did that in the Old Testament. And he says, um, if we face that discipline and if we face that judgment, what about those who disobey the gospel? And the reality is you will face the chastisement, the discipline of a loving father who loves you and wants you to live your life in the image of Christ. We, we will face that discipline. We will stand before God one day and give an account for our lives in a great judgment. And, and it sounds like from scripture, he's going to start with his people. He's going to start with the church. Why? Because we bear his name. And if that is the case, and if we stand before an all-holy God to give an account for our life, what about those who disobey the gospel? What about those who rebel against the gospel? What about those who persecute the Christians? What about those who shake their hand in God's face and continue to live according to their own sinful desires? What will happen to them? Well, Romans 2, verses 6 through 11 answer that. It says, answers that for us. It says, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. See, because of Jesus, even as Christians, as we face judgment and we stand before God, we can do so confidently because the work of Jesus and what he did to provide our salvation is credited to us. His righteousness is credited to us. It's not by our own works that we receive eternal life and immortality and we receive those good things, but it's because of Christ. And so we can be confident as we stand before God, yes, I might have to give an account to my life, but when it's all said and done, what will speak for me is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ on my behalf. But he said, for those who rebel, for those who disobey, it will be wrath and anger. It will be affliction and distress. It will be eternal separation from God and in eternity in hell. We don't have to fear that, but those who um, rebel and disobey God do. First, I don't want that to be anyone here. Every one of us can stand and be in right standing with God. We can be seen as the righteousness of God, declared the righteousness of God because of what Christ has done for us. That can be you today. If you've never placed your faith in Christ for salvation, today could be that day of salvation. Today could be that day of redemption. Today could be that day of rejoicing for you that when you stand before God, what Christ did on your behalf will be accredited to you. But for the rest of us, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear persecution. We don't have to fear suffering because we share in the sufferings of Christ and he will be glorified and we will share in that glory because we are the objects of his glory. We have been redeemed by him. And then we get to verse 19 that says, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful God 
creator while doing what is good. The final thing you can write down is this, in suffering, trust God's faithfulness and continue to do good. In your suffering, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're enduring, no matter what you're going through, you can trust that God will sustain you, that he will hold you up. And despite your treatment, despite your health, despite the opposition, despite the challenges, whatever you're facing, we can continue to do good works. You might be hated by your family. You might be hated in the workplace, but you can continue to do good works. Why? Because you are entrusting yourself to a faithful creator. You're not entrusting yourself to the meddlers. You're not entrusting yourself to those who want to do you harm. You're not entrusting yourselves to those who slander you. You're not entrusting yourself to those who rise up against you. You're entrusting yourself to a faithful creator. And therefore, you can continue to do good works, not only for the glory of God, but also for the sake of the eternal soul of those who you aim to influence with the good news of Jesus. It's not about us. We lay our lives down for the sake of others. Um, Oswald Chambers talks about that, us essentially being a doormat that people can walk across to get to Jesus. I wonder if that's our heart. Are we willing to be oppressed? Are we willing to go through suffering? Are we willing to lay our pride down so that people can walk across us? They can trample us in order that they might get to Jesus because of the way we love them, because of the way we extend grace to them, by the way that we respond to them. Today, as we pray, whatever God's speaking to you, I encourage you to have a conversation with him. For some, it might be that today needs to be that day of salvation. Today, you need to place your faith in a loving Savior, but also in a King who demands but is worthy of our full honor and our full worship. As I pray, the Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means as I pray, there's no magic prayer to pray. You can simply call out, confess that you're a sinner and profess your faith in Christ as Savior and as King and ask him to save you. Repent of your sins. And the Bible tells us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you do that today, I'd love to know about it. You can take one of those connect cards. You can mark the box so that we can follow up with you. you we can help you take your next steps. You can give it to me. You can give it to one of our leaders at one of our, um, at the Welcome Center. You can put it in the lock box and we'll follow up with you. But for the rest of us, maybe, maybe you're going through some kind of suffering Maybe you're going through some kind of difficulty and, and it's led you to some kind of depression or just it sets you back. It doesn't have to. You can rejoice in that. And so maybe as we pray, you ask God to bring joy to your heart, knowing that he is going to work that for your good and for his glory. Whatever he's calling you to, let's have that conversation now. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your salvation we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And we thank you that even when we face fiery ordeals, suffering, difficulty, oppression, Lord, we know some of our brothers and sisters around the world face persecution. God, I ask, Father, that you would 
Help us to find our hope in you, that we would be encouraged, that we would rejoice because of Christ and we share in his suffering. I do pray, Father, that if there's one here that does not know you, they've not placed their faith in you, that your spirit would speak to them in this moment and that they would call out to you for salvation. They would place their faith and their hope in you, not just as Savior, but also in king, as King. That they would make a determination today that they will worship you, that they will elevate you, that they will bend the knee in honor and loyalty to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak as we close out with this song, continue to work, continue to move in, in our hearts and draw us to yourselves in whatever way you choose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.